Good morning, we're going to talk about some of the most beautiful and very well-known mitzvot today. First, what we're going to talk about, we're doing the second aliyah of the parsha of Kedoshim, second aliyah, verse 15, Torah says, you should commit no injustice in judgment, meaning it's very easy when you have a, a legal system to have corruption and to have a, a judge putting in personal biases or trying to help someone in court. And therefore the Torah says not to be partial to the poor litigant. You might feel like this guy, look, the, the, here's a court case. You have, a, I don't know, a big farm, a big chicken, big whatever. And this poor little guy, so even though legally the big guy is right, but let me give a chance to the small little businessman. He's a poor person. This would be... This would be an opportunity to give him some parnas in a more honorable, respectable way. So let me help him out. Let, let me make him win the case. You know, his arguments are not so good. Torah says, see something. Don't give favoritism to the poor. On the other hand, the Torah says the very next words, not to give honor to a great man either. Don't say, well, because it's not, it's not respectable. This big guy, he's a rabbi. He should lose a court case. He's, a, he's the richest man in town. He should lose. I like him. I feel good for him, etc. Says the Torah, B'tzedek, you should judge the court case, you should judge your friend with tzedek. Tzedek means righteousness, with a, a, a desire to do exactly what is right <clears throat> without, uh, without, uh, without uh, you know, getting involved in their status or their wealth, etc. Another, another explanation of tzedek, with righteousness, you should judge your friend. This is not only referring to the judge sitting in court with a court case in front of him, this is to each and every one of us. Very often, or not very often, all the time we judge other people. It's a part of what human nature is. We, we are by nature, we judge. When you judge, you should judge others favorably. Find a way of judging them in a favorable way. The next mitzvah, verse 16, says, and in each verse you have several things. Do not go be a rachil in your nation. What's a rachil? So it's translated as a peddler. Peddler. The word Rachel from the word also Regal. You can switch the letters Gimel and Chaf. So you have a peddler. How does a peddler make money? They travel from town to town selling their wares. And so too they go around the Yente, right? Part of how you make business. You got a small talk. Talk to ladies, uh, da, 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 right? And then uh, you hear a good juicy story about Chaim uh, Barrel. You go to the next town. Hear what I heard in the last town. You know what she told me? It's part of how you, uh, you schmooze the customers and you get the business. So don't be a Rachel, don't be this peddler who's peddling his stories from person to person, from town to town, going around. Um, it, it causes also from the word Rechilos. Rechilos is, is gossip. So Rechilos is just yenting. It's true. It's not even negative. Lying is one prohibition. Speaking negative about somebody else, that's Lashon Hara, that's something else. Rechilos is just to talk about other people. It's not, you know, I'm just talking before Twitter, right? Before Twitter, before Twitter, the idea of just gossiping, which is not negative or hurtful to the other person. I'm just, you know, saying, you know, you heard like yesterday, Robert did this, and then he said that, and whatever. So that's uh, that's called rechilos. Rechilos is one of the prohibitions of the Torah. Rashi says also like from winking your eyes or you're implying things. But the point is, the Torah does not want us to gossip. And to be involved, involved in idle chatter about our friends. And then the next verse, next part of the verse says, Lo samod al damreacha. Do not stand by by the blood of your friend. So what does this mean? Simply it means, 
that if you see someone being hurt, being attacked, being attacked, you know, damaged, even though in American law you are allowed to do nothing, down for Florida a few years back, I teach my bar mitzvah kids, not this year I didn't, but almost every year we talk about this mitzvah and Torah, that there were a group of kids, teenagers, they were watching a person drowning. He was, uh, he had ran away from his home, there was a pond or a lake behind his home, he had some issues, he was autistic if I'm not mistaken, and he was in the pool, and in the pool, in the pond, he was drowning, and he was screaming to him for help. And on the video, they're laughing at him, like, ah, you idiot, what are you getting into the water? You're going to kill yourself, man. We're not getting wet to help you. Not only did they not go in to help this person that was drowning in the pond, they didn't even call 911, there's nothing. And the family could have found the, the, their relative a few days, and eventually they found this video on Facebook. And the police chief of the city said, even though they're, they're despicable human beings, he wanted to charge him with a crime, but he couldn't find any crime to charge him with. They didn't legally, they didn't do anything wrong, even though they were literally standing there watching and laughing and making fun of a person as he's drowning. And they did not only did they, they not do anything, they even call for, they at least call 911, at least something. Nothing. They, they were laughing. But that's not a crime in American law. But in Judaism, that is a crime. That is a prohibition. The Torah says clearly, that you may not stand by watching your brother's blood, your friend's blood being spilled, unless it will spill your own blood. Meaning, a person is not obligated to go save someone else that will risk their own life. So if your life will be in danger by helping someone else, then you're exempt from helping them. But otherwise, if your life is not in danger, and you don't help someone else whose life is in danger, you have violated a sin in the Torah. If somebody is, if someone's about to murder someone, you have a duty to intercede if you have the ability. Of course, you have the ability. So, okay. so if the person is uh, armed and you're not, you know, and your life will be in danger, yes. So then you obviously you don't have to risk your life to save someone else's life. But if you have the ability, you have to. Correct. If you have the ability, you must do so. And um, if you see someone drowning, you have an obligation to go and help them, to save them, to, to put yourself out there, even for, to try and help them. And the Hashem, I am God, that will give a reward to those that go beyond. Because a person can always say, ah, I felt scared, I didn't know. God knows in your heart that you have the ability to help that person. And you, you were afraid, you were lazy. Um, Hashem will know to give reward and to punish. Next verse, even the more important verse. Lo sisna esachicha Do not hate your brother in your heart. Now this is a very, very uh, interesting mitzvah over here. You're not allowed to hate your brother. Not only not allowed to hate him publicly, but you're not allowed to go to war against him and to actively do something to try and hurt him. In your heart, you're not allowed to feel hatred to another person, to your brother, in your heart. Um, now, what's the next? Let's go to the next words. You shall surely rebuke your friend when you see him doing something wrong. Now, the two go hand in hand. How do you make sure that you don't have hatred in your heart? Part of it is by rebuking your friend. Meaning, when your friend did something to hurt, why do we hate our someone? God forbid, because they hurt us. We think they did something wrong to us. You're right. That's usually where hate begins. We're we're upset by something that the person did. Now, how does that become hatred in your heart? Because you keep it inside. And so that anger or animosity or that grudge begins to fester and to fester until eventually it turns into hate in your heart. Resentment. Resentment. Says the Torah, don't resent him in your heart. Rebuke him. Meaning, when you have an issue with someone, speak it out to him. In this context means, speak to him about it. 
Tell him why you're upset. Tell him what he did to bother you. Yes, it may be a difficult conversation. And some of us avoid confrontation. We avoid you know, getting into a messy conversation. We'd rather just keep quiet and you know, pretend like it's not bothering us or like just keep it to ourselves. But you cannot carry hate in your heart. If something is bothering you, you need to speak about it. And if you buy the... Okay, you need to speak about it. But who do you need to speak to? To your friend. The person says you should rebuke a person. Which means a person who is im amitecha, your friend, also means im with you, imcha, with you. Meaning, as the Gemara explains, he needs to be with you on the same level of religious observance. He needs to be in the same spiritual status as you. So the person is an absolute sinner who won't listen to the words of rebuke and he's not on your spiritual level, then rebuking is not going to help. You don't have to rebuke him. And the Torah continues, below sisa alav you shall not bear a sin upon his account. Meaning that you should be careful when you speak to him not to embarrass him. Because if you're going to rebuke him in a way that will cause him embarrassment, what will happen? If you embarrass someone, what's the halacha? It's as if you murder them. So even though you have an obligation to rebuke them, but if you're not careful in how you rebuke them, you may end up doing a sin while you're trying to do a mitzvah. You know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So you say, I have a mitzvah to rebuke them. I'm coming. Here's a rebuker. Night in shining armor. I'm coming to do my sacred duty of rebuking this person for their terrible sins. The very next words in the Torah. Don't carry a sin on their behalf. Don't let your zeal... Some people are very quick. Some people, I just mentioned, are avoid confrontation. Some people, the last thing they want to do is be uncomfortable and have a conversation about how someone did something wrong. Other people, they love it. They love the, the, the feeling of moral indignation. Let me tell you what a wicked idiot you are. They're looking for the opportunity. So when you come there on your uh, shining arm and your white horse to save this person from themselves, be careful that you don't uh, carry a sin on their behalf because you were overzealous in your rebuke and you caused them shame, which in turn will cause you the sin of having, as if you had murdered them. Anyway, I mean, really, like this is something which we spent hours talking about. How not to hate someone in your heart, because there's something fascinating here in the Torah. I'm going to get to other verses too. The Torah is not just telling you how to act. The Torah is telling you how to feel. The Torah is telling you what to feel in your heart. So many people understand the Torah has the ability to tell you to do this, don't do that. Right? You can control your actions. Eat this, don't eat that. I got it. Okay, I'll do this. The Torah is not telling you what to do. Torah is telling you how to feel. I mean, not just saying don't speak bad about your friend, don't hurt your friend. That's for sure. Those are other commandments. Here the Torah is saying, in your heart, you cannot carry resentment. You cannot allow other people to have free rent in your head, which is easier said than done. Something, again, human beings struggle with this. It's against, in some ways, human nature is to allow things to bother us. And some people are better at it than others. We allow things to get inside us and to say, you need they get in and they literally, they take up free space in our head. They don't pay rent, but they take up space in our head and they, uh, and we fester. So we're saying you have to, if you can rebuke them and get out that way and they're worthy and they're on your level to rebuke them, then rebuke them. But what if they're not? What if you can't rebuke them? Or what if you rebuke them and they didn't listen? So even though you can't rebuke them, you still have the obligation on yourself to work on your own character, to work on your own midot and your own your character, to be able to let go and to without rebuke, to just let it go and to not allow things to get deeply within you to bother you, or you're not carrying hate against another person. And this connects to the next verse. 
Verse 18, Lo sikom, do not do nikama, do not do revenge. What's revenge? The classic example of revenge is Chaim asks Beryl to borrow his uh, axe, or to borrow his car, to borrow whatever. He says, I don't have one. Can't help you. Sorry. Right? And then we find out he has one. Next day, now Beryl comes to Chaim and says, I borrow your uh, lawnmower. And he says, just like you didn't lend me your thing yesterday, I'm not going to lend you my thing today. That's revenge. You did A to me, so tomorrow I'm going to do the same thing to you. That's the comma. What's the next uh, verse? No, next word, velocitor. Not to do natira. What's natira? Natira is translated not to bear a grudge against your friend. So, bearing a grudge example is, Chaim asks to borrow uh, Beryl's uh, axe. He says, no, I don't care. I'm not lending it to you. Next day, Beryl asks Chaim to borrow his lawnmower. And Beryl says to Chaim, even though yesterday I asked you for your axe and you said, no, I'm going to lend you my lawnmower. <laughs> See, I'm not like you. Some people... <coughs> They wouldn't uh, be so kind to lend someone else their axe and do a favor. But I'm, I'm, I'm nicer than that kind of person. I will. So you haven't done revenge because you're lending them your thing. But you're doing the tear. You're still doing a sin. Even at the moment that you're doing a mitzvah, you're lending them your uh, lawnmower, you're doing the tear, you're bearing a grudge. Again, so it goes back to exactly the verse before. You may not carry a grudge in your heart. You can't hate someone in your heart. You can't bear a grudge in your heart. They go hand in hand. You carry it inside you. So even though you may pretend, they may convince yourself that I got past it. I'm not going to be like them. I, 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 can, I can still smile at them even though I'm upset. <laughs> but you're still carrying a grudge inside you. Still carrying a grudge, that's also a sin. Okay, what's the next word in the verse? You shall love your friend, your fellow, your friend, like yourself. I'm Hashem, I'm Hashem, your God, who knows what's in your heart. I know if you're loving someone, like loving them or not, if you're bearing a grudge, if you hate him. Okay, so let's talk about the for a second. This could also be an hour class, two hour class, three, I mean, really, it's a lifetime class. How to love another Jew, not just to love another Jew. Here's also something even more. Should love another Jew like you love yourself. Now that's really hard because we all love ourselves. At least all healthy human beings love themselves. So to lo- you want me to love you, be nice to you, okay. To be to do nice to you, I can do. To love you, it's already hard. Love a person with the same extent and the same intensity the way you love yourself, that's already a very, very tall order. That's uh, very demanding. So what's the explanation? What does it mean to love someone like yourself? So I'm going to give you two explanations, that's it. They're all connected. Secret is in the word kemocha, like yourself. How do you love yourself? You know how we love ourselves? Without judgment. Without any kind of quantifications or limitations. Meaning, we don't say, even though I uh, failed my test, or even though I lost this deal, or even though I messed up, I still, I still like myself. We don't say that. I love myself, we have a way of of, of like glossing over our own flaws. It's human nature. Every one of us do this. We gloss over our own flaws and we focus on what we like about ourselves. And so even though we all have flaws and we all have certain defects in our behavior and in our character, because we have an inherent self-love, it's again, it's part of being a healthy human being, so we love ourselves. So we, we don't like say, even though really I deserve to be rebuked, but I'm going to overcome my rebuke of myself and I'm going to love myself. We don't do that. We naturally love ourselves because it's we. So we're like oblivious to our own flaws. 
the way we love ourselves is, is beyond any explanation. We don't need a reason why we love ourselves. We don't need to say, because I gave charity, that's why I love myself. Because I, I went to sing, I, that's not why I love myself. I love myself, why? Because it's me. I love me, because I'm me. That's simple. That's how you have to love another Jew. The secret here is the explanation. How could you love somebody else? That guy is taka dot, 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 dot. You can fill in whatever thoughts you want. You know what I'm saying? He, it's true. He's a lowlife. He's a pain in the neck. He's a whatever. He's a sinner. All true. But you got to love him the way you love yourself. Here's a secret. How do you love yourself? Just because. There's no reason why you love yourself. You don't need a justification why you love yourself. That's you need to love another Jew. Just like you love yourself. Just because. For no reason. Because you. Second, connected to this, similar. In the most famous chapter of Tanya, chapter 32 of Tanya, which is called the Lave of Tanya, right? 32 is Lama Deh, which means heart. The heart of the Tanya talks about this verse, this mitzvah, which I should have said already before, Rabbi Akiva says, is the Kalal Gadol Torah. One of the foundational principles upon which the entire Torah is founded upon is this mitzvah, to love another Jew the way you love yourself. Tanya, the author, explains how is it possible for us to love another Jew like ourselves. If you look at reality, or in this context, if you look at another person in a physical way, then indeed, I am me, and you are you, and we're different people, so now I have to somehow transcend myself to love you, it's hard. But if we look at people with a spiritual perspective, meaning I look at you not as you are as a body, as a person in the physical, I look at you the way you are as a soul, as a soul. My soul and your soul are all part of the same soul system. We all come from the same spiritual father. We all come from the same father. Our souls all come from the same place. We're all part of the same family. It's true that physically in our bodies, my body looks different than your body and my actions are different than my culture and my upbringing is different than your upbringing. But that's only from a physical reality. If you have a spiritual reality... I see you as a soul, it's very easy to love you. Because your soul and my soul is kamocha. Your soul and my soul are the same thing. We're part of the same, the same father. Come from the exact same place. My soul and your soul are two parts of the same whole. Same Jewish nation. And so this is the secret. And this is in general the secret of Chabad. People understand. Chabad is most known for its love of other Jews. Right? That is, if you ask anyone, what's Chabad? Non-judgmental, they're welcoming, they love everyone. And our love for every Jew is sincere. It's not like we pretend in order to trick people to come to Chabad. Yeah, you can come the way you are. Really? I judge you. Really? I think that you're a sinner, but I'm being quiet so I can like rope you in, so to say, and then I can, uh, then I'll make you religious. No. People come to Chabad and they feel that it's a sincere acceptance, a sincere love. Exactly as you are, you're loved exactly as you are. What's the secret? This verse right here, what the author explains in Tanya. When I meet another Jew, I don't see him as a physical person, as a physical body. I mean, obviously, I meet the person as a physical person. But to me, I see that there's a soul. And if you see another Jew as a soul, of course I love your soul. Your soul is a beautiful soul. It's a holy soul. You use your mind to affect your heart. Of course. Okay, you're getting to Tanya. Yeah, the brain controls the heart. The brain controls the heart. Absolutely. The brain has to talk to the heart and say, this is what you have to feel. Absolutely. Your brain needs to talk to your heart. But what does your brain need to say to your heart? That person you don't like, don't look at him from a bodily perspective, the action that he did, the way he lives his lifestyle. Look at him on a deeper perspective. 
See that he has a neshama, there's a soul inside him. If you see that there's a soul inside him, then you can love him the way you love yourself, because you and him are all one. And then you also love him without justification. I don't need a justification to love a Jew. Because a Jew is like me. It's all part of me. And I love me for no reason. If I love every Jew for no reason, that's Avas Chinam. So in this verse, the verse before says, don't hate your brother. That's Sinas Chinam. We hate sometimes people. Not all hatred is logical either, by the way. I had a conversation with someone a few days ago about a fight, about hatred. Hatred is not logical sometimes. It transcends any logic. That's how deep hate can be. It makes you do things that are not logical. And so the opposite of that has to be Ahavas Chinam. A love, not that makes sense, a love that's illogical, a love that transcends the limitations of what makes sense, just like I love myself not for logical reasons, I love myself beyond logic, it's me. So don't hate, because hate is not logical in a hateful way, rather, you should love him like yourself beyond logic. And I went, uh, we'll stop over there.